again, everybody, and welcome to episode five of the North American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Dylan Baker, and joining me, as always, are Brady Reed. Brady, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Dylan. Appreciate it. And Chris Smith. Chris, good to talk to you again. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Right. So this week, obviously, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about the semifinals. But before we get into some of the match review, there are a couple of things that I want to touch on first. First and foremost, uh, some brief MLS news. There has been a schedule released at least for about a third of the MLS season, and it's coming quite a bit sooner than what we thought. Um, the regular season for the MLS is officially beginning on August 12th as MLS's back tournament non-participators, Nashville SC and FC Dallas, face off. They're actually going to face off again on August 16th, this upcoming Sunday. And from there, starting on August 20th through September 14, clubs are going to play six to seven matches in the span of about three weeks. A lot of their competition is going to be largely regional. So uh, Nashville SC is going to play Atlanta United and uh, Florida teams are going to be playing each other uh, as well as a couple other opponents. That way that we can decrease on travel uh, and, and hopefully negate any flying that needs to be done. And then a remaining schedule of the final 18 matches of the season will be released at a later date, but that will take place from September 14th through November 8th. November 8th is, of course, the last day of the season, decision day, and the end of the regular season. Playoffs will begin on November 20th, and the MLS Cup Final will take place on December 12th. Now, because we talked about it last week, I do want to switch over to Brady here. Uh, talk to me a little bit about some of the developments of what's going on with the Canadian teams. I know we touched on last week, there was um, there was an idea in place where the Canadian teams would largely play each other. And mostly that's been confirmed by Don Garber. Um, but also there's been some new developments on what's going to take place after the after the September 14th cutoff for uh, the schedule that we have so far in terms of what the rest of their season is going to look like. So talk us through these Canadian teams and, and, and kind of what's been released in the last few days. Yeah, so obviously we've seen the, the commissioner hop on uh, the other night during the, the Timbers and, and Philadelphia match and kind of confirmed what the Athletic and, and, and some other outlets had, had been speculating now for a couple weeks that we'll, we'll get action regular season play a lot, maybe quicker than a lot of people had predicted. Um, for the time being, it, it, it kind of leaves the three Canadian teams in, in limbo. Uh, the, the, the plan is to, to play each other three times each out of their, their own home markets just here in Canada and then Going into kind of phase two in September, they're, they're probably going to have to pack up and, and find a temporary home down in the U.S. to kind of wrap things up. So uh, I, I'm hearing from several people that that Toronto is is pretty seriously exploring Red Bulls Arena as an option. Uh, the Whitecaps kind of looking at, at Portland and, and, and Montreal, uh, nothing nothing specific, but I'm, I'm hearing probably, probably uh, the Northeast region just based on geographics, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that's all going to play out. But uh, like I said, nothing official uh, on, on those fronts. But um, yeah, I mean, this is certainly certainly probably quicker than, than many of us might have anticipated, but a, a good sign. You know, as you mentioned there, Brady, it's going to be interesting, especially for Montreal, because like like you said, Toronto's basically got their quote unquote home stadium covered. Vancouver are be, being on the completely opposite side of Canada and the opposite side of North America. They've got a few options uh, over in their neck of the woods, like your Seattle's, uh, like your Portland's, where they should be able to 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 make a, a short hop into a, a new stadium to play in. Should this be uh, the, the direction to move forward? Uh, but Montreal. 
are in kind of a pickle because uh, with the Yankee Stadium shut down, NYCFC are being forced to play out in the New York Red Bull Stadium as well. So you've got three teams who are using one stadium, and you definitely don't want to make it four. So considering geographically where Montreal is is at there in Canada in relation to where the other MLS teams that are close to them are, there's not really any obvious answer. You've got uh, Minnesota, not really close, but northern. Uh, You've got Philadelphia, which geographically is going to be a little bit closer, and the closest of which um, is going to be the New England Revolution playing out of uh, Gillette Stadium there in Boston. From what you had mentioned to me um, about some of the talk that you had heard, and I'm sure you'll expand into it, uh, Gillette Stadium isn't necessarily the easiest to get into. Uh, It's not necessarily the the best access point in in Boston in terms of travel and, and and hotels and these sorts of things. So they're definitely going to be interesting to to see where they end up settling. Should this be the solution that MLS comes up with? Yeah, I don't think there's there's an obvious kind of solution for them. I mean, like you said, I don't think housing four teams at a Red Bull Arena is going to be the easiest thing to pull off, quite honestly. So. I would expect the decision to come pretty quickly considering, you know, how fast these, these games are kind of approaching. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think Gillette stadium would probably be the best option geographically, but uh, you know, from what I've heard, it's, it's kind of secluded from, from the uh, Boston area and there's not necessarily the amenities that every other kind of big city would be able to offer. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have any specific information on that as it stands, but I, I feel like in the coming days, we'll, we'll definitely get some clarity on that. The last thing that I want to cover before we get into the semifinals is kind of looking back at this MLS's back tournament as a whole. As we approach the final this upcoming Tuesday, I want to know you two's thoughts about this tournament in terms of its role for American soccer in the pandemic-riddled world we've found ourselves living in for the last five months. We know that there's an impact from the results of the group stages for the MLS season, which gives the tournament both a semblance of importance as well as a necessity to every club that's been involved. The MLS administration has deliberated endlessly on how best to restart and eventually finish the season that started back in February, and this tournament, coupled with heavy coronavirus restrictions and self-isolation methods, was, in their minds, the best way forward. So let's kind of analyze this tournament from the other end of it as we're about to finish. Has this tournament been an effective way to kickstart MLS after a four-month layoff and has it been a good squad building tool for clubs trying to figure out just what exactly is the best way forward? Yeah, I think it. I think it has to go down as a, as a success, in my view. Uh, I mean, sure, it got off to a bit of a rocky start with you know with Nashville and, and Dallas pulling out, and you know there were positive tests coming in and stuff like that. But I think the the more you test, the more you're going to get positive tests. That's you know that's very very simple. That's common sense. Um, I read somewhere that as of Saturday they were they were zero from 148 for positive tests and that was 28 consecutive days without one now. So if nothing else, they've, they've proved for every other major sport in the United States that the, the bubble method definitely works. Uh, I think on the pitch, I think there's if not all, then most of the teams have learned something about themselves. You know, you've you've seen Orlando under Oscar Pereira get into the final and sort of obviously we'll touch on them later but I think they've learned a hell of a lot about themselves uh, I know they went out earlier than we thought but Columbus crew have proved how good they can be on the day and that they should definitely be taken uh, seriously this this season LAFC have proven how dangerous they can be under Carlos Vela um, we 
we all still know that LA Galaxy are terrible, <laughs> uh, just as they were last season, even when Ibrahimovic was there. You know, there's so many teams that have learned something, whether it be positive or negative. Um, at the very least, it's it's been a good way to sort of kick us back into action. Sort of everyone should now be entering this new sort of rehash regular season back in the stride. And Brady, what are your thoughts, especially considering, look, if you go back to the beginning of this tournament and really the, the, the weeks building up to this tournament, it didn't, it didn't look good. When you consider the, the issues that Nashville had, when you consider the issues that Dallas was having, when you consider the, the, the location of Orlando being chosen, obviously prior to um, the MLS turn is back tournament starting, but in the weeks following up to the beginning of it, Orlando started being this, this sort of hot spot for, for coronavirus cases. Um, you know, there, there are stories that are being broke here at the very beginning of this tournament where the, the self-isolation protocols are being broken by players who are at the tournament. You know, all of these things kind of wrapped up in the onset of, of kickoff, uh, where Orlando city, uh, took on inner Miami in the very first game of this tournament. And it just, it didn't look like it was going to be a good thing for soccer. It didn't look like it was going to be a good thing for the MLS. It didn't look like it was going to be a, be a good thing for American sports in general, considering our, our, our difference from a lot of the world in terms of how we've handled coronavirus. So now that we are on the other end of it, considering all of those things, it looks quite a bit better on the, on the outset than it did on the onset, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd, I'd have to agree with Chris. I think you know, overall, I think the storm has been quite successful in what it's tried to achieve. It's, you know, it's made the most of the current situation. I, you know, playing kind of across the United States at this point in time wasn't exactly an option. So, you know, they proved that the bubble method can work despite some early concerns, which which they very, very appropriately dealt with. And you know, there was a ton of skepticism about about the success that they might have. And and we kind of see a lot of the same attitude on social media as we as we go head into a regular season format. But uh, I'm going to give them an opportunity to to prove themselves and and see if they can make this work before I kind of assume the worst. I think they've they've done a good job of of handling it to this time. So so there's no reason why that can't continue. Um, but yeah, I think the tournament's been a huge success, especially with regards to kind of recruiting new fans. I've I've had a lot of people reach out to me that are very intrigued in the in the results and, and kind of how, how teams that are not necessarily expected to have had success are, are are making a run like teams like Orlando obviously who find themselves in the final so you know there, there's certainly there's, there's a ton of new eyes on the league and I think a lot of that has to do with the tournament format I, I'm not sure it's necessarily something they should adopt every year moving forward but in the current climate I think I think it was the right move and and yeah I'm excited to see if they can have any success with with the regular season. And a lot of it, I think, personally, is going to come down to adherence to ad- adherence to quarantine rules that that have worked in the bubble system that's been employed for this MLS's back tournament. Once they're back home, you know, I I, I don't mind, especially watching uh, a lot of European leagues move back into into home grounds and get back to a normal schedule. You know, we've seen that it's 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 doable from a from an administration standpoint from an organization standpoint but one of the biggest concerns that that I'm going to have as the season looks to kick off is is just how well everybody plays by the rules once the rules aren't in a in a sequestered location anymore so it it definitely will be interesting to see but 
On to the past rather than the future. Let's talk about these semifinals. The the first one that we've got to touch on is Portland Timbers versus Philadelphia Union. Oh boy, this was and in such an intriguing head-to-head for a semifinal. We spoke last week about the experience of this electric Portland side going up against a younger, more patient, more counterattacking styled Philadelphia Union, and the former pretty handily came out on top this week. Chris, I'm going to start with you. We've seen Philadelphia sit deep and wait for their chances to come to them, and until this match, it's worked well for them. Even hearkening back to their opener against New York Red Bulls, a heavy-pressing side much like Portland, Philadelphia Union have been throughout this tournament what I can only describe as comfortable. What do you see in this match that was different? Were were Philadelphia feeling the pressure more from Portland Timbers or more from the spectacle that is a cup semifinal? Uh, To be honest, I don't think they necessarily sort of succumbed to pressure that much throughout the game. Uh, Yeah, and I... There's always sort of a trend of of teams when they fall behind, they put a lot of pressure on late on, and that can sometimes sort of skew the stats of the game and how the game feels. But they did put a lot of pressure on the Timbers towards the end, and I was kind of, you know, they had that goal disallowed for offside, and I was kind of watching it and and thinking, yeah, the Timbers are going to crack here in a minute, but they somehow just made it through. So important to remember as well that Sergio Santos missed a penalty. That goes in. Philadelphia get a grip mm. on the game it, it could have turned out really differently so I don't necessarily think that they've gone out because they've played poorly or they've, they've succumbed to pressure Portland are an incredibly experienced team at, at playing at this stage of, of tournaments and and pulling through and getting to finals and some of, some of the match winners they've got if you're not quite at 100% you, you're probably going to lose by those fine margins I, I think that's what it went down to in the end well, and just to stick with you, uh, and, and, and we can transition over to, to Brady if, if he's got any thoughts on this particular player. We've highlighted Brendan Aronson so many times uh, over the course of the, the, the beginning throws of this podcast. Uh, any thoughts on, on, on his performance on the night? As usual, it looked like he was, he was trying to make things happen as much as, if not more, than any other Philadelphia player. The problem is when you come up against a guy like Diego Chara, you, you know what's going to happen there. He, he operates right in that space where where Aronson likes to hop, to operate. And as much as Aronson was still looking to sort of looking to get into those positions, looking to get the ball in dangerous areas, he just, he just seemed like he was stifled. He didn't have any of the, the space that he usually has. And I, th- I think that really restricted him. Well, and I think to that point, one of the things that I saw that was both exciting for Brendan Aronson and, and as, as we can tell by the result, detrimental to uh, the, the, the way that Philadelphia put their attacks together is that Diego Chara had such control of that space in, the, in, in their defensive third where Aronson likes to operate that he was forced to go much wider than, than what we normally see him play. And, you know, based on how the, how the, the first goal was scored and there was a, there was a, a Shabalko chance right there at the very end of the match as well that came from uh, you know a ball that was played in from Aronson you know you could tell that he was still being effective in those in those wider positions but it just didn't quite mesh and flow in the attacking phases of, of play the way that it, we've seen it, it it work over the course of this tournament yeah I think any, anyone will know that I think Jim Curtin's plan for that game would have been to have Aronson operate and where where he has been for, throughout the tournament, you know, teams that 
that play well like this and get on a roll like this, they, they don't normally change the tactics too much, regardless of the opposition. Um, not when you get on a roll like, like the Union have. So, yeah, as you say, it's a good thing that Aronson sort of in-game was able to pick up with the fact that he, he wasn't getting those spaces and he, he was he was having to go out wide to, to get the ball. But at the same time, I think as much as you did see him, like, like we both said, still have some influence on the game, I feel by pulling him that wide, you are negating what makes Brendan Aronson Brendan Aronson. That's not a criticism. I think, to be honest, it's it's sort of it's more of a it's more of a kudos to to Diego Chara for doing what Diego Chara does. And the last thing that I'll touch on with with Philadelphia before we switch over topics to to, to the Timbers, and and this is kind of for for both of you if you if you'd like to pitch in, um, or or we can move on. We'll go from there. Looking at the talent of Aronson and and looking at the way that Philadelphia's team is built, I, one of the issues that I've seen over the course of this tournament, but was uh, a glaring problem for them in this match is that they just don't have they don't have any pace in their forward line. Is that something that? that you think they're going to need to address in order to either a look to push on after Aronson is no longer a part of this team and, and potentially gets his European move or B um, is it something that they need to look into and really to in, in really to not only unlock Aronson, but unlock their attacking prowess going forward. Well, I think you, you have to ask Nate, name me a top class team in any league right now that, that doesn't have at least one Really fast player up front, like pace is so important. You've seen with Orlando, even though he's getting into his thirties, Nanny's still got that little burst of pace where he can he can turn inside quickly. Uh, with, with LAFC, well, you don't even have to name their guys, but Diego Rossi and, and Brian Rodriguez in this tournament, they're, they're so quick. And, and you look across to Europe with with Real Madrid, Eden Hazard did get better towards the end of La, the La Liga season, so it's no surprise that Real Madrid therefore got better. Barcelona suffer when Usman Dembele is on one of his long sort of injury absences. So, so everything but pace is really important. I think if you've got a, a slow, static team, you, be, you become predictable. Um, and it, as you mentioned, though, it does restrict how much your playmaker, like what what he can do, what kind of passes he's going to be able to play. Yeah, I think I, I think yeah, like Chris said, I think any team needs it one of those kind of kind of game breakers with regards to just 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 speed that that's going to kind of unlock a defense when, when a guy like Aronson is pulling the strings and like, Toronto FC had similar issues in this tournament. They, you know, in their own right, they're, they're a great team going forward, but, but Pozuelo is, is certainly not a, a quick player. He's a brilliant player, but you know, he needs speed around him to kind of, kind of break the lines. And obviously at this point, Josie Altador is, is definitely, that's not what he's known for. They got some young guys in, in Schaffelberg and, and Endo and these guys who, you know they they have speed, but they're not necessarily uh, they don't have the reps at the at this level to kind of be be a game breaker by any means. So I mean, Philadelphia might be weary about building long term around Aronson because I'm not sure how long he's going to stick around. I mean, and for their sake, I hope a while. But yeah, I think it's a bit it's a bit of a common theme at times across Major League Soccer. If I'm honest, I I find the difference in in, in attacking with regards to the top levels in Europe and and Major League Soccer is a lot of times comes out the pace and breaking the line. So I don't think this is a problem unique to Philly, but it's certainly something they, they're going to look to address. Uh, I think the biggest example in MLS that you can point to the importance of having that sort of, that one guy with absolute electric pace is Seattle Sounders with Jordan Morris. 
they struggled without him when he was injured in 2018. He comes back looking like a completely rejuvenated player. And Seattle going with MLS Cup. Quite a few of the games that got them there was thanks to Jordan Morris doing what he does with with those runs in behind and leading the counter-attack. So and that's the best example to point to of how much of a difference it can make. Well, and shifting over to the to the side that did end up winning in the semifinal, man, they looked good. They they've looked good all tournament, but Portland Timbers looked excellent in this match. And not only not only was Portland's pressing of the opposition high this past week, which I think was one of the 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 major factors that put a different kind of pressure onto Philadelphia Union than what they've than what they've experienced throughout the, the at least the playoff section of this MLS's back tournament. But their organization and their fluidity in every phase of play was tantamount uh, to their success in this match. They had heavy pressure on the goalkeeper from the six minute on. They had an exceptional number of, of shots on target and from all different areas of the pitch to truly bother uh, Andre Blake. He was one of the busiest keepers that I've seen in any match uh, this in this particular tournament. We talked about Diego Shara. Uh, cutting out counterattacks with ease and really stifling where Brendan Aronson likes to operate. And really they they nicked the ball off of Union in their own defensive third quite frequently that allowed them that allowed them to to put together an attacking move in a very short amount of space and in a very short amount of time. And I, well, one of the things that I noticed was that they caught Philadelphia Union out often enough that it was it was before they they could shift back in their to defensive organization and there, and sometimes there were these huge gaps in spaces in between the the Union center backs that allowed that allowed for for big chances and you know the the game ended two to one but it very very easily could have been more uh, Brady I'm, I'll come back to you talk to me about Portland and 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 just how good they looked in this game yeah I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because. You know, oftentimes it seems, especially in these tournament settings, when a team like Philadelphia that's been getting all the love that they have ultimately bow out, it's all the attention seems to be on kind of their shortcomings. But uh, I, I thought the story wasn't wasn't what Port, what Philly did wrong necessarily, but more about just what Portland did so well. I mean, we touched on on the midfield and specifically Diego Chara. I mean, what a what a player in, in holding midfield and uh, what a servant he's been there for almost a decade now. I think. We talked about Aronson potentially moving to Europe. If you want to kind of audition against what what it's going to be like to play against a, a genuine number six, I I think Chara is as good of a test as any in the league. So you know, on the day he 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 probably won that battle. And we we've talked a little bit about breakout players in this tournament. I think Eric Williamson, the midfielder in in Portland, probably deserves a shout there as well. I mean, he. He certainly looked the part in, in that game, and, and and considering this is kind of his his rookie season, he certainly hasn't looked out of place. And obviously, if we're going to talk Portland, we've got to talk Blanco. I think he's he's been the player of the tournament for me. He's just, his ability to break open a game just with individual efforts, be it a goal or picking out a 30, 40 yard ball for for a teammate, is puts him on a list with you know probably a handful of guys across the entire league. So. Yeah, I, I don't think we should be bashing Philly. I really think we should be praising what Portland have done in this tournament and and in, in that semifinal. That, like you said, that was probably their performance of of the tournament. So when you're getting better as the games go on and, and the stakes get higher, I think that's obviously a, a fantastic sign. Chris, to me, more than anything, you know, all, all, all of these things that I've that I've mentioned to kind of set you up to talk about Portland here still apply. But more than anything, I think what I what I noticed in this match is that. Portland looked like 
they've been here before. They've been in in, in late stages of domestic cup competitions. They've been in uh, late stages of of the of the MLS playoffs, and they looked like they knew how to handle the pressure of late tournament matches. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you got Diego Valeri is one of the most experienced sort of winners in in this in the entire league. So. Him alone, like when he's on the pitch, that's a scary prospect to try and defend against. But Brady mentioned how good Blanco's been there. I think for me now, sort of looking at the entire tournament with one game to go, he's got to be the MVP. Um, the, the high press that Timbers had against Philadelphia, you mentioned, Blanco made seven tackles and two interceptions on his own, uh, which for the guy who's scoring all the goals and getting all the assists, that's incredible. That's an incredible defensive output. It just shows how cohesive and how together this this Timbers team are, and, and as you mentioned, the, the closer they get to a final, the more they just seem to to knit knit things together. And they, they've got a team full of experience, a team full of match winners, and the, the best player at the tournament so far. So, as much as not many people tipped them to get this far, is it that much of a surprise that they are? I don't think it is. And one of the main things that I want to touch on before we talk about uh, Portland as a team in the finals uh, and, and looking forward to, to to their matchup, which we'll also touch on, is Sebastian Blanco is is 32 years old. Diego Valeri and Diego Chara are 34 years old. I know we talked last week about how the experience would be important, which I do think that we saw in this match, but also we we talked about how age is going to start becoming a really big factor for Portland moving forward. Now we've seen older players had a lot of success in, in the MLS. You know, it's, it's been joked about that. It's the retirement league for, for some of the biggest names in, in Europe, but more importantly, we're, we've started to see a bit of a modernization of the MLS um, where, where it's not necessarily built around that talismanic old player. Who's just leagues above everybody else. I know we touched on that with the LA, LA galaxy conversation last week as well. So Chris, I'll stick with you just briefly. Um, talk to me about the age of this Portland squad and, and, and when do you think they're going to have to start really honing in and addressing that issue going forward as, as some of their best players will be, will be bowing out and retiring. You would think within, you know, the next one to three years. I don't think it's a case of, of if they start doing it or when they have to start doing it, they, they already are. Uh, you know, you've got Jeremy Abobasi up front has, has been sort of, Picking up more minutes as the years go by, and he's now starting to look like a real a real match winner up front. He's got great pace. His, his end products improved no end over the past sort of six, well, six to 12, 18 months. So there, there's one guy straight away. You got Niels Goder up front, um, who they signed in the off season, twenty five year old striker. So he, he's a guy who can who can stick around and and sort of liven up that forward line. You know, you've got Christian Paredes in the midfield hopefully to replace Diego Chara when his legs do eventually give up. So, you know, across the pitch, they are actually they are actually already making these sort of younger signings and, and they are building for a future without Chara and Valeri. That's not to say it'll be an immediate success. You, you lose, obviously, when you lose players of that calibre, it, it does take some adjustment and there's a lot that they'll be taking out of the out of the dressing room alone, let alone on the pitch. So it'll still be a building project to, to get things sorted, but they are making strides already. Yeah, we mentioned we mentioned Seattle Sounders earlier, and and how kind of the injection of Jordan Morris's pace has has given them life in moments where they they haven't necessarily looked to be the most flight of foot, and 
you know, they're they're kind of in a similar situation where where a lot of their top players are are starting to kind of find themselves on the wrong side of 30, save for Morris, obviously. So with the way that the regular season is going to play out, it's going to be a pretty congested fixture list. And so, you know, some, some of these teams who have some young players who are, you know, prospects and haven't necessarily gotten the chance to have a true audition. I think we're going to see them get a real look and, and, and for teams like Portland and Seattle, perhaps these times will be, you know, super important for kind of evaluating, you know, what, what they have moving forward and, and, do they need to look abroad or, or do they need to, you know, give their, their homegrown talent a, a better audition? I'll, I'll stick with you for one last final um, follow up on this. Uh, it, Chris made a great point with, uh, with Abobasi and with Niesgoda and how their minutes are starting to increase pretty frequently um, over the course of this tournament based on, what you've seen from players like these two, I know, I know, uh, uh, Paredes, we're, we're, we're waiting to see a high number of minutes for him for Portland, but uh, specifically with Niesgoda and Abobasi, based on previous seasons in the MLS and based on past performances that you've seen prior to this MLS's back tournament, do you think that this this tournament has been a big development standard for them raising their game going forward? Yeah, I think we we've touched on kind of the the culture, the winning culture in Portland and I think I think that 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 energy and that mindset is is contagious and I think you know the likes of Valeri, Blanco, Chara, these guys who've been there done that and have had tons of success in this league. I I think that these these younger players are coming in and and they're they're kind of just a sponge and they're you know they're learning all they can and and clearly they're they're elevating their game as a result and so you know the work culture is 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 a huge Huge word in European football, but not always necessarily one we hear in North American soccer. And but I, I think in Portland they've clearly got a winning culture. And so when these players come in and are playing alongside guys who are demanding a lot of them, I think it's it's requiring them to, to kind of raise their game to a high level very quickly. And I think we've seen that in, in success of their young guys. And I, I don't think that that'll change anytime soon. Perfect. Well, we do need to we do need to shift over to the other semifinal, um, you know, for for time because there's a lot to talk about with this one as well. Um, and I and I have to start. I know I mentioned on Twitter this week. I have to start with the fact that um, you know, really, I'm I think Orlando City need to be calling each one of us individually and thanking us because we called them in the final by simply not calling them in the final. All three of us chose Minnesota to go through, and sure enough, Orlando City put in potentially their best performance of the tournament to date. So bravo, Orlando, for for not listening to us. <laughs> Going into this match, I really want to start with the obvious player of the match here in Nani, uh, a player who's always been important to this Orlando City team, but has spent this tournament being their shining beacon of progress as they, as they approach this final. Chris, what's different about his performances in this tournament compared to the side that finished nearly at the bottom of the table last season? I don't think it's necessarily Nani's performances individually that are making the difference, to be, to be quite honest. I think it's it's quite simple in that no matter how good your star player is, if the guys around him are up to scratch and the guy in the dugout isn't good enough to, to put the pieces together, then he's going to fail no matter what. I mean, you only have to look at Ibrahimovic last year with LA Galaxy. They didn't get anywhere near as far as a team with Zlatan in that kind of form should have done. Even looking across the pond and even looking at a team like Barcelona, I know they got through the Champions League against Napoli, largely thanks to Lionel Messi, but that guy's been carrying them for the last couple of years now. And this season, they lost all the La Liga title to Real Madrid. And it's no surprise because 
the guys around him just haven't been haven't been playing well enough and they've made some seriously bad appointments in the dugout. So yeah, you, you can you can have all the star talent sort of you want in a in a in MLS with your designated player rule. You know, you can you can have three top class guys, but if the, if the players around him aren't pulling it out, then they're not gonna they're not gonna succeed. I think you have to sort of give a lot of credit to Oscar Pereira for for getting the most out of the players Orlando have at their disposal. You know, you know that you've got they look far more organised at centre half. You know, they were they were making a lot of blocks, a lot of clearances. No one was really caught out of position. You've got Jean Moutinho and, and Ruan at fullback. They've, they've got an immense amount of speed there. You know, they, you, they can constantly pressure up against your own byline. Really good delivery from the flanks. You've got like the likes of Perea and, and Mendes and Russell in midfield. They, they look like a really cohesive unit. A nice blended of sort of tough defending, quite dynamic on the ball, quite ambitious on the ball. Obviously, Nani's leading the way still up front. But you've even got like Chris, likes of Chris Mueller showing his potential through, through this tournament. I think this it's been a big sort of a big month for him as well. So Nani's still Nani. He's still top class. I, I think it's the guys around him and and the guy in the dugout. Basically, putting the pieces together to bring the best out of him. Well, and I'm going to stick with you briefly because I, I wasn't planning on going this direction just yet. But you, since you've already brought him up, I, I really kind of want to continue digging into him. Um, and, and that that's the guy in the dugout, Oscar Perea. Um, he's been somewhere between marginally and pretty damn successful in his career, especially at FC Dallas and Club Tijuana in Mexico. Taking over this Orlando City side must have proved a daunting task compared to what I'm sure other opportunities were afforded to him. But he's got this side working their tails off for him, and they've all stepped up their their level of play. Talk to me about the mentality of the players with Perea at the helm, uh, what you've seen as, as a as a shift change with him at the helm, um, both in the context of the final and the regular season that's looming forward. Yeah, I think there's there's probably a, a, a quiet air of optimism when Perea first come in anyway among fans and probably among the players considering what they'd been used to previously but he's got him looking a lot more organised than we've we've ever seen from Orlando and MLS um, they, and they look at, at the other end of the pitch they look at a genuine threat and I think a lot of that does come from respect for the manager you know if, if, you're, if you're a professional footballer and you're working under a guy you think doesn't know what he's talking about then are you going to put as much effort in as you would if you ultimately respect the guy who's telling you what to do? But that, that that's the key. If you'd run through a brick wall for for your manager and you absolutely trust what he says, you're going to go out and do it and everyone's going to be pulling in the same direction. I, just, I don't think we've seen that from Orlando before. And Well, if Perea can keep this up, then I think all the memes among Atlanta United fans, I think they're all going to be becoming quite outdated very soon yeah i think i think the the, the biggest kudos kind of to the success of orlando you know in this tournament is to, to for amongst many it's gone to nani but i i'd have to agree with chris i think Perea has earned top marks for me in this tournament i mean you just see the the reaction of the players uh, you know after after they've just won game after game it just it's it seems like a a, a true squad and, and a unit that's you know, in it, in it for each other. And I, I'm not sure you could necessarily say that about Orlando city teams of the past. And it wasn't a lot about, you know, they didn't have a ton of turnover from in their roster. So, you know, obviously something changed. And, and at 33, I don't think it's, it's about the level that Nani's kind of 
reach that he wasn't reaching before. I think like Chris said, it's the supporting cast that's allowed him to, to get in positions to have success. And, and, and obviously at the end of the day to find your best 11 and, and, and kind of tactically to, to give them the most room to have success that that's, that's the manager's job. That's the head coach's job. And, you know, and that's where, that's where Perea comes in and, and he's had just, just night and day success with Orlando based on the, the, the team that we've seen since they've entered the league. And so, yeah, I think if, if there's anybody that, that isn't named Nani in that side or in, in, in that club that, that deserves a lot of praise in this tournament, it's been Perea. Yeah, I, th- I think, Brady, you, you raise a really good point with the celebrations of the players. Um, it was something I did actually pick on, up on, especially with Nani in the semi-final against Minnesota, was you can tell this really means a lot to him. I mean, for, for Nani especially, I know I hate, to, I hate to keep talking about him, but I think he's a good barometer for the rest of the squad because this is a guy who's played against the, the best teams in the world and for the best teams in the world at the highest stage and. You know, he's played at World Cups and European Championships with Portugal. The way he was celebrating his goals, the way he was celebrating the, the victory, it was refreshing to see from an Atlanta United fan. Um, more in that this guy's taking MLS really seriously. But I mean, for an Orlando fan, you've got to be seeing that and, and have so much pride and so much confidence and excitement for where this can go because that does inevitably trickle down from the manager. Uh, that that sort of winning mentality and that that need and that want to win and if you got a guy like Nani buying into that, the rest will fall in place. Yeah, I know. Like you said, we don't want to. We don't want. We we said it's not just Nani, but here we are praising the guy. But I mean, you know, he's he's played in Champions League finals under Sir Alex Ferguson. I mean, his his experience, let alone his play on the field, but his experience is just it's got to be contagious. And you know, I spoke with Kamal Miller, a Canadian defender in Orlando, but ahead of the tournament and. And that was the biggest thing he said to me, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of coming into training and you're, and you're with a guy who, you know, is used to taking passes from Nemanja Vidic and, and Rio Ferdinand and suddenly you're the one threading it to him. And so, you know, you, you grew up watching these guys play and now you're kind of, kind of filling their boots on the back line and, and you're, you're tasked with providing this guy with the ball. So, it, I mean, if that's not enough to, to get you up to, to your highest level, I don't know what is. And I think they've all bought in, and and it, it's they've they've been a fun team to watch in this tournament. So I, I'm I'm glad that despite our horrible predictions, they've had a ton of success, and I'm excited to see what kind of level they bring for the final. Maybe lastly, before we before we move on to Minnesota, you're right. We have talked a lot about Nani, and and so too has uh, almost everybody who's covered Orlando City in this tournament, and uh, you know really in the past couple of years as well. But w- one question, as he is another one of those big name big name stars who who played in all the big games in Europe, you know that, that's come over here at an age before the appointment of Oscar Perea, Orlando kind of looked like. If Nani couldn't do it, nobody else could. And, and and like you guys have both mentioned, that's really not the case anymore. So the 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 question that I that I would pose to you two is is that in a in an alternate reality where you know basically this is this tournament is is Nani's last bits and bobs for Orlando City. He retires, and and now they've got this open position out on the left with the with the rest of the team that they've put together and with the with the the backing that they're giving the manager and w- with the way that. Perea has really changed the environment and the culture of this club. Do you see Orlando continuing to breed success potentially with the loss of Nani now that you've seen how they've grown under Perea? Yeah, I see them. I see them kicking on for me regardless now. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to jump the gun and say, yeah, they're going to be in the playoffs every year from now on. 
Um, you, you can't just say that about a side that's never been in the playoffs, but they're going to compete a lot more now, namely because they've got a guy in the dugout, not to uh, not to pilot on James O'Connor anymore, but they've got a guy in the in the dugout who knows what he's doing. Um, he's earned the respect of the squad very quickly. And regardless of who's on the pitch now, you know they're going to be buying into what he's doing. And that that then goes upstairs, you know, that the, the guys who, who offer up the finances are going to have confidence in the guy they're giving the money to. So, yeah, I definitely see them competing a lot more from here on out. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, they're a better team or even maybe as good of a team without Nani, but I don't think it all falls apart if, you know, if he decides tomorrow that he's, you know, he's done with, with, with Orlando. I mean, hopefully that's not the case because obviously, you know, to have a player of that level, regardless of the age, is, is an exciting prospect for the league. But, no, I think that the blueprint is in place now, and and I think Orlando, like Chris says, is not necessarily a, a you know a playoff lock moving forward, but it's certainly a team that that I expect, anyways, to to have a ton of success in the Eastern Conference long term. Yeah, well, Orlando have never actually had a problem with attracting big names in the past. That's never been the issue, has it? It's always been getting the guys around them and getting the rest of it right. Sort of, it's, they're in a they're in a very attractive location and they've always been able to get the big names in. So I think now we're finally seeing an Orlando who's getting the rest of it right. Well, it certainly makes them exciting to watch as a neutral now, uh, whereas they, they, they definitely didn't have that about them uh, in, 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 in past years since they, since they've come into the league. Um, but switching over to switching over to the side that didn't make it to the final Minnesota United, you know, I know we started with a highlight uh, of Orlando uh, and I want to start with a highlight of Minnesota as well uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of Hassani Dotson. And then we can talk more about the game and more about, you know, Minnesota United specifically, but Dotson has received, massive amounts of attention in this tournament and rightfully so especially after the San Jose match the from the previous episode despite clearly being an exciting player his youthfulness was on full display this week and again it it is nani you know he's one of the he's one of the best left wingers in the in the league um and he's almost hands down probably the most experienced left winger in the league so Chris do you see do you see this past match as more of a as more of a learning experience for him or do you see it more of a of a showcase of how far away he is from being consistently a top level talent we know he's got the talent he wouldn't be exciting and he wouldn't be receiving the same amount of attention if he didn't have the talent but that consistency is key do you think that this is more of a of a learning experience for him or does he have a lot more to show I think it's more of a learning experience personally it, it was a strange performance because the first sort of 10 minutes, everything was going through him again, like it was against San Jose. And I was sort of, I was personally rubbing my hands together, thinking, yeah, this is going to be another big performance from from a guy we're all excited about. And then he just got torched by Nani. Like, it was just, it was crazy. Looking at the, the two mistakes, well, as well, sort of the, the, the two goals, I, I wouldn't call both of them actual mistakes, but looking at the two goals, I think the... The things that a player can easily learn from, you know, the first one, he's been caught a little bit out of position. He's let Nani get the wrong side of him and he's just been out muscled. And then the second one, he's been he's been done with the eyes and gone the wrong way and sold himself and allowed Nani to come inside so easily to, to get the shot away. They're, they're mistakes that a player can quickly learn from. They don't often do them twice. So I, I don't think this is a sort of something where we should be more grounded about Asani Dotson. I think this is something where we say, yeah, He's played really well, but clearly when he's come up against a guy who's got so much experience and 
knows all the tricks of the trade and has is sort of has come up against countless different kinds of fullbacks. He, he just got outfoxed by him, but a big learning experience for him. I, I think he'll he'll come out as a better player. That second goal was more was more the was more the interesting one in terms of of Dotson's development because you know it, it's it's not it's not hard to to let Nani even at thirty three it's not hard to let Nani in behind you and at that stage it's just you're going up against the footwork of a guy who's bamboozled people on 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 the biggest stages but the the second one was was the one that was more concerning to me because you know essentially he he chose the overlap you know as Nani was dribbling towards him he 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 stepped off saw the overlap coming and decided to to not take on Nani and put the pressure on him as he cut inside and to focus on the overlap and and while there's an argument there that there should have been more midfield help for that inside cut or or maybe there can be a center back stepping up from it at the end of the day he was Dotson's man and that was that was more the the decision that I was most interested in your opinion on because under normal circumstances you would think Orlando City left back or Nani who needs more attention and and he he just he flat out made the wrong decision and that's not to say that one wrong decision is is you know determining of of a player's worth or of a player's value or of a player's talent, but it was questionable and 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 like you said, hopefully it's something that that he takes into consideration uh, and learns from before the MLS regular season kicks off here in the next few weeks. No, I, I think I think you're right. Um, he, he definitely he made the wrong decision. You know, you, you can't let a guy like Nani cut inside onto onto his strong foot and, and get a shot away like that. Um, you ask any defender, any centre half, or any goalkeeper, they'd rather a cross be coming in from the flank than a shot from a player like that. Hundred percent, any day of the week. So yeah, no, no question though. He stood off too far, and then he allowed that he allowed one of the most threatening players in this league to to cut inside and get a shot on goal. But as as I mentioned, that's going to hurt him. The fact that that's happened, he knows that that's on him. He doesn't need telling by anyone. So. It's not. I, I would be very surprised if that's a mistake that he makes again. Because from what I've seen of Hassani Dotson so far, he's a player with a very high ceiling uh, and a lot of potential. And I'm, I would personally trust in the fact that he'll learn from that. And, and next time he comes face to face with a guy like that, he'll probably get in tight and he'll he'll put him onto his weaker foot. He'll send him outside and, and keep him away from goal. Taking that learning that learning aspect from not just that match, but the, for this tournament as a whole, Brady, Adrian Heath lost for the first time against his former employers and was dumped out of the tournament with his current club, Minnesota United, as a result. But considering the pre-tournament predictions from Minnesota, you'd have to assume that they're heading back north with their heads held high. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, you look at the, you look at the regular season games that they that they played in the in the group stage, and you take the two that they played before that, they're you know they're undefeated and they sit second in the Western Conference. So, you know, the bare minimum that they went there to do was to pick up regular season points. I mean, obviously to to stay there as long as they did and, and reach the semifinal in a perfect world, you know, you want you want to go all the way. But I think I think it would be it would be short sighted of them to be you know too disappointed with with what ultimately happened here. They they were missing Eichel Parra. I mean, he's 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 by a by a long shot their best defender, and you know we've seen how important one single center back can be to a team in in all the leagues. You know we've seen what Van Dyke's injection to Liverpool did, and then how quickly they turned it around. And not to compare Opara to Van Dyke, but in his own right, he's easily one of the best defenders in the league. And so 
when you're missing a guy like that and and obviously just the circumstances of a tournament just being so foreign to to a team that's relatively new to the league as it is i think the semifinals was was a resounding success for them and and certainly something they'll build on in the regular season moving forward. So no, I think it's certainly not all doom and gloom, despite the fact that they that they bowed out a little earlier than maybe their fans had hoped for. Yeah, so, something I've found really peculiar, just sort of hovering around on Twitter, um, is the amount of negativity that gets put towards Adrian Heath. You know, this this is a semi final. He's, he's gotten to a he got into U.S. Open Cup final last year. He, he's doing a lot though with a with a roster that with no disrespect men isn't up to the standard of some of the teams that they're currently competing with. So yeah, I, I think in, in the rounds previous, we, we've sung a lot of praise of, of how he got his tactics right in midfield and, and so those, those kind of things and, and the, the ways, the way his team have played, we've given a lot of the, we've given a lot of the credit to him. So it surprised me with how much negativity he gets, but I think he'll, he'll be walking away, definitely taking a lot of the positives from this. Especially as as you say, doing it without Ico Para, at least now he's he's proven that he can get a performance out of this team, at least defensively, without his best defender. Well, and we saw improvement upon Minnesota United last season as well. I mean, they finished fourth place in the Western Conference, level on points with third place Real Salt Lake. Um, you know, they they're not too terribly far off uh, Seattle Sounders, who finished second with fifty six points. Obviously, LAFC. The big Western Conference team uh, was 72 points last season, still one of, if not the big Western Conference team going into the 2020 MLS season. So you, you've, you've, you've got to say, you know, the negativity that surrounds Minnesota United, despite the squad that they have together, in some form or fashion, Adrian Heath is making is making it work with less than what he should have to do more than what everybody is expecting them to do, except perhaps Minnesota United fans. So, you know, obviously you'd like to see them push on and you'd like to see them continue, um, you know, that streak of success that they that they had in 2019 into, you know, what what will turn into the MLS regular season in 2020. But he's obviously got them pointed in the right direction and and. You know, for for a team that's exciting without necessarily the most the most exciting players on the pitch, you have to be happy for them. Well, that leaves us for the semifinals. We've got the MLS final coming up this this Tuesday, the day before um, the MLS regular season starts. I'm sure the MLS final is going to be the very first thing that we talk about on next week's podcast. But before we go, I do want to talk to you two both about uh, Nashville and Dallas. We've not seen anything from them post quarantine, uh, as as we all know by now. Neither neither club participated uh, in the MLS's back tournament. They actually play twice uh, on Wednesday the twelfth, the day after the final, and Sunday the sixteenth uh, to kick off the regular season. So I want to I want to touch on uh, both of these sides with you guys and, and and kind of preview for listeners what we should be expecting from both of these teams. Um, considering their different reasons for not flying into Orlando. Chris, who do you think is going to be more prepared to resume play, Dallas or Nashville? I think I think it's got to be Dallas, considering how little football Nashville as a as a team and as a franchise have actually played. This this Dallas team, for me, are one of the most exciting in the league, um, purely down to the to the, to the youth and the, like sort of the ex, the exciting attacking brand that they play. I'd be really disappointed in myself if I didn't get through this podcast without talking about Paxton Pomacle for one second, but I do I do hold him up as 
one of the most, if not the most exciting player in the league. I think from what I've seen from youngsters in MLS, he, he's, he's got a bit of everything. Um, I think he's the, the biggest talent currently playing in MLS. Uh, but around him, you know, you've got young players like Jesus Ferreira, got Tanner Tessman coming through as well. Uh, there's, a, there's a great sort of, a great ideology at play at, um, at Dallas at the moment, which has been built up over, over quite some time now. But with, with Nashville, as I said, we, we've got a really small sample size to go at. The, the game I've watched most it was obviously against Atlanta. And to be quite honest and, and, and in fairness to them, they were the better team, to be quite honest, throughout the throughout the 90 minutes. Atlanta scored really very sort of Atlanta goals from two years ago, just sort of flashes of, of what they used to be. Apart from that, Nashville dominated the game, created quite a few chances. And the main problem for them is going to come similar to sort of where into Miami at where without that sort of proven year in, year out goal scorer up front, they, they might just not score enough goals to, to compete. But it'll certainly be interesting to see these two go up against each other considering we've, we've seen next to nothing of them this season. And Brady, uh, touch on touch on Nashville and Dallas in terms of preparation, just like Chris did. But also, I'm going to go ahead and kickstart with you as well. What what do you think we we can expect from Nashville and Dallas this season? I mean, for for Nashville, this is their inaugural season. We know how things typically go for MLS freshmen, <laughs> and and for Dallas, they've been in and around the top of the pile for a few years now. They've they like Chris mentioned, they've got such a strong academy and such an exciting team. Did they look ready or do you expect them to be ready to keep up that that success yeah i think i think dallas is you know is, is like chris said one of the one of the more intriguing teams in the league and it's it's obviously unfortunate that we didn't get to see that in in the mls's back tournament but you know i think that their their experience is, is going to be a huge advantage as they as they kind of take on nashville in a in a two-leg series here to to try to catch up to the rest of the league i think the same the same way portland timbers veteran experience has helped them in this tournament i think that'll that'll kind of give dallas the advantage over nashville that way as well um yeah for nashville i mean yeah like we said we've only seen two games it hasn't been all doom and gloom obviously we touched on the atlanta game but uh, against portland as well they lost one nil but they outpossessed portland they outshot them the corner kicks were nine nothing so you know this isn't a team who's you know sitting back in a, in a low block and and kind of just Avoid trying to hope to avoid a, a lopsided result. They're looking to play, uh, like, like Chris said, until somebody kind of proves that they can be that reliable talisman. It, it, the results might not come as as quickly as they might hope. But uh, on, on the other side of the things, Dallas, obviously, like like we said, a very exciting team going forward. And then at the back, they've got you know a, a very exciting young defender in Reggie Cannon and and Matt Hedges, who's a a former MLS Defender of the Year himself. So. Yeah, I think Dallas is a team that obviously we've we've kind of forgot about naturally with 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 the simple fact that they haven't been playing, but are, are are on the other side of things one of the teams that I'm looking forward to seeing the most as we as we kick things back to the regular season. And and Chris, what about you? Um, you know, Brady makes a good point that Nashville have started better than better than what you would have expected in an, an inaugural team to to start, despite the fact that they've not registered a win. Um, you know, the stats look good, the performances on the pitch look good. You know, you mentioned against Atlanta United that they looked better than you had expected, and obviously with Dallas being, you know, having the excitement around them every year uh, that they do have, you expectations for both of these teams you might consider to be potentially higher than what you normally would expect of them, uh, especially in terms of Nashville. 
Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, first year MLS teams don't often get off to the best start. There's a couple of outliers, um, but generally speaking, it's uh, it's a bit of a bit of a struggle. I don't think we're going to see sort of an FC Cincinnati performance from them this season, but at the same time, I don't think we're going to see an LAFC or Atlanta United first year where they sort of break through and get into the playoffs and go quite deep and and that sort of thing. I think if they can try and hang in that tail end of of the playoff race, I think that's got to be taken as a positive. But as you say, they've shown more than enough on the pitch so far to prove that they can at least compete at this level. Um, as we've mentioned, uh, my only worry is you can't rely on Walker Zimmerman scoring all the goals all season from centre back. You you need a guy up there who's, who's gonna gonna finish chances and be that defining match winning factor. With, with Dallas, maybe I'm looking through rose tinted glasses at the at the playoff game against Seattle last season, but that was one of the best games I've ever ever watched live in my life. It was incredible. Like obviously. Seattle went in as favourites, but Dallas just gave everything. They they gave them they gave so much to that game and displayed everything that you want from an FC Dallas team in terms of how they attack, how they how they play on the ball, sort of that ethos that we've we've talked about that you associate with Dallas. So I think you can expect a, a playoff run from them again. Are they good enough to win MLS Cup? I don't think so. By virtue of how much they put into their youth development, I think that also kills them when it when it comes to high pressure moments but I think we can we can expect a lot of exciting football a lot of attractive play and I think a, a deep run towards the towards the playoffs I think I'm a, I think as Brady mentioned then Dallas are pretty much the, the team I'm most excited for now namely because I haven't seen them and because I admire them so much all right, folks, that should just about take care of us for this episode of the North American Soccer Show. Uh, uh, Chris, I'll come to you first. Um, let us know where we can find you on Twitter and what you plan on working on this week. It's uh, at CJSmith91. Um, I'll obviously be covering the MLS's back final and then prepping myself for no sleep for when the regular season starts again. And Brady, how about you? Where can we find you on Twitter? And with uh, with the MLS regular season kicking off um, next week for um, uh, for the Canadian sides, uh, what can we expect from you this week? Yeah, uh, as always, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brady Reed underscore. Um, with the Canadian Premier League, as I mentioned, uh, getting underway this week, uh, I'm looking to do some match coverage for that. So, you know, if that's something you're interested in, definitely check it out and. You know, I thought we'd get a little bit of a breather with the MLS, but it sounds like we're going to get right back into it. So, yeah, I'm excited for that as well. And I'm your host, Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter at DLN underscore BKR. This has been episode five of the North American Soccer Show, and we will see you next week.